Hi, and welcome to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast. I'm your host, Ron Hogan, and my guest today is Andrew McCarthy. His memoir, The Longest Way Home, One Man's Quest for the Courage to Settle Down, has just come out in paperback. There's a lot in this book that I love to talk about, and we'll, we'll talk about over the next half hour, but one of the starting points that I want to get into, I guess, is how, even before you became a travel writer, travel seems like, and I guess this is my word, not yours here, but became sort of like a release valve for, and maybe pressures is the wrong word, but it became sort of a release for the experience of being cooped up on in, in the sort of like the isolated environment of a movie set. Huh. You know, I wouldn't look at it that way. I would look at it sort of as the opposite of that. I certainly didn't feel cooped up in any way on a movie set. And I didn't wasn't looking for release particularly. I found travel gave me something that I wasn't getting from other areas of my life. So I don't think it was any kind of pressure relief or, or, or it wasn't relief I was looking for. I was looking for further stimulation, I think. Oh, you know, okay. travel helped me discover certain things about myself that I was didn't have access to before. There's a turning point in that process that you write about early on when you decided to do the pilgrimage of Santiago. And it sounds like, on the one hand, that was a grueling experience. It was also a breakthrough experience for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, that was a trip that I suppose changed my life. I have a friend who says there's one trip that changes everyone's life, and that I, that would be the one that did that to, to me. It was very much that. Yeah, I was having a miserable uh, experience trudging 500 miles across Spain, and then I had one of those sort of breakdown tantrum kind of moments that people have, and then with that sort of came a release, I suppose. There, there's where the release was, and uh, a realization, really, more about that fear had been so dominating my life to a degree that it was... You know, it was so ever present in my life that I was unaware of its existence till its moment, that moment of its first absence. I think I like to say that was a big. I and mean, you know, once you realize fear is a dominant, uh, playing such a strong hand in your life, it, it's hard. You see it everywhere, and you see it sort of long tentacles everywhere. And I just made a decision at that point that I didn't want to let that rule me. And so I, I made conscious steps of sort of constantly trying to challenge that and move through that. And then I began traveling more. You know, I like I, I felt like myself. When I traveled, suddenly, suddenly I located myself. It was the same as when I first acted. I located myself in a way I never had before when I first acted. And traveling sort of elicited the same feeling in me. I, I sort of went, there I am. Yeah, it seems like before Santiago, when you were traveling, you were sort of exploring the perimeters of wherever you were on a, on a shoot, diving into the corners around the location. But it was after Santiago that you really more impulsively, or, or more regularly, I should say, decided to just pick up and go places. That, that's true. That's very true. Uh, I discovered, I suppose, on that trip that travel is really about the traveler and not the destination. Uh, whereas before that, I'd been sort of curious about places and gone and looked and seen. But then once I experienced that, I then actively sort of pursued places that were going to help and what I thought would help me further experience Explore myself in those regions as opposed to just sightseeing. I wasn't interested, never interested in sightseeing. I've never been interested in sightseeing. So, yeah, it became a much more, uh, it became my laboratory or my university, I suppose, travel. I mean, I imagine that it would be reductive to say therapeutic, but I mean, it does sound like, I mean, you were working things through about yourself as you yeah. were making these journeys. I suppose it depends what therapeutic means. Therapeutic <laughs> also means. Uh, a sense of relief and stuff, and it wasn't particularly, it was more challenging myself and sort of forcing myself into uncomfortable scenarios and situations and sort of trying to, you know, throw yourself in sort of a crucible and coming out of that changed by it. 
so that's what I was looking for in travel, really. You know, whenever and whenever I did that, I came back a better version of myself. And, I mean, nothing dramatic was happening on these trips. Not like I, you know, I would just go and you know, I, I, Paul Theroux's books had a great impact on me, and uh, that idea to just go, go alone, go far, get out of touch. You know, I, I thought that was that had a strong influence on me. I was going to mention Theroux because you you do talk about him quite a bit in the book, and. I was going to ask, like, what was the first book of his that sort of you stumbled onto? Do I talk about him? I think I mentioned him once. But he probably does. He is like the godfather in a certain way. Certainly godfather of my tra travel writing. I, I actually got to meet Paul through the other day for the first time. I interviewed him for a magazine, and we were talking about travel, obviously. And I said that about travel writing. I said travel writing is really more about the traveler than the destination, isn't it? And he said maybe that's all travel writing is about. Which is interesting coming from him since he reveals so little of himself. He discloses a lot, but he reveals very little. But, um, what was your question? Oh, <laughs> I, I guess, what was your entry point into into Oh, I had the old Patagonian Express someone mm -hmm. gave me. And that I found, I just, had never considered travel like that before. So, and I, and I liked his, I just liked his voice, I liked his, his curiosity, his lack of reverence toward places, and just sort of, and his interest, and his opinion. You know, I, I felt similar. Now, the backbone of The Longest Way Home is the point at which you'd been in a long-term relationship after your first marriage ended with a woman named uh, D. She's called D throughout the book. Her full name is Dolores, and we can edit that out. No, no, I'm, I, I know her name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wasn't sure if it was D for privacy reasons. No, the reason it's called, she's called D in the yeah. book is because, you know, it's not really a portrait of her in the book. The book's really about my own internal flailings around, played out in exotic locales, but it's really sort of my own trying to come to terms with certain issues. And naturally, and then there are issues of intimacy, and so naturally the person with whom I'm intimate has to play into that. And yet it was it's not like a, a full, rounded character study of her. It's, she, it's just a facet of her, so I just sort of somehow... But more, really more, I think, just to show that this isn't, you know, I'm not attempting to show you her. Mm -hmm. Only in the sense of how it's reflecting off me in this regard. Right. In certain points. You guys had reached a point in your relationship where marriage had become a more pressing concern. And at the point at which you both agreed that it was time to get married, you immediately... Leave. Leave. And, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to the ends of the world for the next six well, months. Y yes and no. Yes and no. You know, I mean, it, it sort of comes out that way, and that's sort of the wrap of the book. But, I mean, all the places, I, I didn't just sort of go up up and go, honey, I'll be back when I found myself. You know, I was writing, each trip I took was for writing stories for magazines mm -hmm. and things, which is interesting because there's always a story you're sent to report, and then there's a story that's going on underneath it that I find always more interesting, which is what the book is about, is there's those stories underneath the stories. But um, So each trip I was going, I was for... Uh, a magazine and so it wasn't just like oh honey i'm gonna go and when i find myself i'll be back it was but it was asking that question it, you know some people go to therapy others go you know have coffee with the girls i do travel to solve issues i put that issue on the front burner of my internal life while i was traveling and saying what's the deal with it what is the deal with this sense of intimacy you know the, the book's about i used to say the book was about struggle with commitment but that's not really actually accurate at all i think the book is much more because I was committed. I was in this relationship. We had a child. I wasn't going anywhere. You know, one reporter said to me, so this is really a midlife crisis book. I said, well, I, I hope not because it's a midlife cri I wasn't looking for a 22-year-old hottie and a red convertible. I wasn't looking to escape my life. I was looking to try and find a way to enter more fully into my life. And the way I would do that and the way I answer those kind of questions is through sort of 
putting myself in that crucible of travel and trying to see where I emerge. So the book to me is much not, instead of being a book about commitment, which is what I first would say, I think it's much more a book about trying to come to terms with our inherent separateness, and yet, how do we have connection and intimacy at the same time? How do we, those two th things seem mutually exclusive to me, and or did, and so I was constantly pulled in two directions. Was constantly pulled toward family, and then constantly pulled. To, I've got to go, and what is that? And I found. I mean, that was where the idea of the book came from. I was in the back of the cab going to Patagonia, like you said, right, the first chapter of the book, and I was in the back of the cab, and I was really upset to be leaving because we had just decided to get married, and I was really sad to be leaving and felt lonely and the way you know all that kind of lovey-dovey stuff. And then at the same time, I was absolutely thrilled to be leaving and going alone, and I thought, what the hell is wrong with me? How can those two things coexist so strongly in me? So that was the event of the book, really, trying to reconcile those two things. And is it possible? Yeah, and there's a great moment more towards the end of the book when you're with your best friend in Baltimore, bouncing around uh, looking at places where the solution or the answer that kind of comes up is... Show up. Show up, the capability <laughs> to show up. And it, and yeah, it, and what does that mean on all those levels? It's not like you're going to be there on the day, you know, and in life, you're going to take your kid to school, you're going to be there, you're going to show up, but how do you, can you show up more fully? Do you want to? And what price is that going to cost you? Coming to, and that's on many, on different levels, and it's different at different stages of your life, I think. But I think that is sort of the, ultimately the answer is, can you show up? And, you know, we tell ourselves a lot of lies about and justify anything, any kind of behavior. So it's tricky because you can often, you know, you don't see the truth. Because we, I think we lie to ourselves constantly, particularly around relationships. It's easy to see a theoretical possibility in which, you know, not showing up would constitute, say, like the period when the home life between the travels being essentially a sort of holding pattern where you're just sort of mm. biding time until yeah. the next travel. But yeah. it seems like, I mean, this is very clearly a case of, no, it's like now I am home. Now I'm going to give myself fully over to, to this life. Well, it's or, a challenge. I've certainly, spent, I've certainly spent large parts of my life in a holding pen going, can't wait to go away again. But, you know, the act of writing the book, that great Joan Didion line about, you know, I travel to know, I write to know what I'm thinking. I've always kind of said, I travel to figure out what I'm, to, to find out what I'm feeling, and I write to figure it out. You know, the act of writing the book certainly helped me come to terms. I don't know if the traveling did, but the act of writing the book helped me come to terms with a lot of this stuff, and I, I didn't, haven't traveled nearly as much since. Although I recently went to India for a story for a magazine, I went alone for the first time in well over a year. I went traveling alone, and I was thrilled to be gone. <laughs> I would say it felt like, oh, there I am again. And it was a nice relief to travel alone. Yeah, I think that it, it certainly had some effect on me, the, the, the task of writing it and brought an awareness. I, you know, I don't know if we ever solved these problems, but when you shine light on them, they, they alter it. It's like looking at a lab experiment, it's watching the experiment alter the experiment. In my case, it has. Now, one of the things... You write about as you're traveling to all these different locations is that there's, I mean, there's a couple places where people think they, they, they're like, oh, do I know you from somewhere? And, it's, and I'm curious as to, as you're going around the world, because you never write about any sort of situations where, you know, you're halfway around the world and somebody's like, hey, you're Andrew McCarthy. And I'm just wondering how much, if at all, does that ever happen? It does. And... You know, I was probably oversensitive to that in in the book, and although it happened, it did, didn't happen in any way that affected the book, or I, I don't know if it even made the book any of the times when it did happen. So I don't think I was lying by withholding there, because I can't think of an incident in the book where actually there's 
the fact that they recognized me, knew who I was, altered this encounter. But it often does happen, people recognize me. But I think I, I at certain points, and probably while I was still writing, but were sensitive to the fact that didn't want to... You know, oh, the guy from Pretty in Pink's a travel writer. Great, you know, <laughs> which is why when I started writing, I was very conscious to try and write for very good publications and things. So that by by the time I was outed for being the guy from Pretty in Pink, I've written for National, you know, I'm an editor of National Geographic Travel. I've written for the New York Times, the Atlantic, and all these kind of things. So that people, so it's not easily as easily dismissible. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was acting, when I first started acting, I. I was in all these movies, but I had no, my hands were not on the wheel in any particular way. So I was suddenly had a career trajectory and a persona that very much did not match who I felt I was at the time. So I was very conscious when I started writing that I wanted it to be a little more uh, deliberate. So I may at times err in cautions keeping the two separate, because it's easy to dismiss something like this as, you know, oh, it's a vanity project, blah, 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 you know. But it certainly has helped me. It's opened doors for me because I can be quite withdrawn. Even when I travel, I can go days without hearing my own voice. So when people recognize me, it often opens doors that wouldn't get opened otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Yeah, I mean, the power of TV is, is great. Bernie lives everywhere. Yeah, you, know, you were mentioning dealing with the credibility issue in, in, as a travel writer in that way. And you, you write a little bit about the point at which you were starting to decide you wanted to be a travel writer. And it, it was something that with your first editors that you had to raise too, that it's, you know, this question of, well, what makes you think you can write about travel? That was with the editor at, at National Geographic Traveler, Keith Bellows, who was wonderful in the sense that he had no stigma, mm-hmm. whereas I've encountered many times stigma of people, uh, and which is a bore because it's all their stuff and not mine. It's like, look at the work. Okay, mm-hmm. we either work together, or we don't. I mean, you know, so it's it's a real bore encountering that, and I encounter it all the time still, and I find it boring because it, it's just in the way, and people either get over quickly or they don't. If they don't, I just go somewhere else. Life is too short, you know what I mean. And but Keith was great. He just, but he did say, you know, what makes you think you can do this? And I said, well, I know how to travel, and I know I know how to tell a story. I know why I travel, and travel is meaningful to me. It's not frivolous. It's, I'm not looking for vacations. So I'm looking, travels had an impact on me. So, and that was very clear. I mean, underneath every story, travel story that I write is the notion that this will change your life. This is an important, vital thing. I never write about that, but that's underneath the energy underneath every story I write, which is why I've been successful at it. That, and I know how to tell a story when I'm a travel writer, which is often the mistake travel writers make is they sell a destination instead of telling a story. That would be, in a sentence, people ask me how to be a travel writer. Go tell me a story, don't sell me a destination. And now that I'm hearing this, I'm imagining that probably during the period that you write about in The Longest Way Home, there there may well have been trips that don't necessarily, you know, didn't necessarily drive the narrative of the memoir and, and hence don't show up. There were a couple. I had a lot of travel during this period because I'd been just directing a bunch of television. Anyway, I had, I'd been unable to travel for a long time. And so then I had all these stories piled up. And so I was just bang, bang, bang doing these trips. But I think there was one or two that just didn't factor in. Because I, I, I generally, as a rule, don't like travel books about multiple destinations mm-hmm. in a certain way. Like one sort of continuous kind of narrative. And so I was trying to find a way to thread these seven different locations through with one theme. And then that played into the whole thing that, well, it's not really a travel book anyway. It's an internal, it's a memoir of sort of internal journey. So the, the locations are really in service of that. So it helped me always keep in mind that, the locations were really just in service of the other journey, which was the internal one. So that's how I justified yeah. myself anyway, whether I succeeded or not. I don't know. On the majority of the journeys in this book, you do travel alone. However, there is that chapter in Vienna where you travel with Dee and her family. Mm. And I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious as to how that chapter plays out once it appears. And I mean, I, I mean I'm sure that like, 
pri- you know, privately before the book comes out, they must know that it's like that traveling with other people, even them, drives you crazy. Well, then go but, now. But, <laughs> but yeah, and then, but then to um, see it on on papers. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I actually don't look at that. You know, yeah, I, I don't look at that as travel. <laughs> that is going somewhere with my wife's families, my in-laws. You know, I don't consider that travel, really. Mm-hmm. I consider that we went to Vienna. I just look at it entirely differently. And I think it had, uh, you know, its place in the book. It's, it's integral to the book, really. But uh, yeah, I just look at those things differently. You know, I love them, so it's, it's, I enjoy the time. But there's certain moments where I'm like, I'm going to take a walk. I was also kind of curious in that, I mean, you have like the film and television career and you have the writing career. And, you know, certainly in the last decade, travel television has really kind of boomed it in a way. Mm. And I'm wondering, yeah, you know, if you've ever given any thoughts to, you know, I guess sort of like an Anthony Bourdain or a Samantha Brown type of situation. Yeah, I've never seen Samantha Brown show, but I, I have to say the only one I've ever seen that works is Anthony Bourdain's show. And it only works because of his personality. And whether you like it or not, his personality, it works. You know, the show is cut, shot, edited, you know, everything in service of that personality to build him up. And it's very effective. It's a good show. I, I like it a lot. I would be curious. You know, again, I, I, I had not been at all curious to do, interested in doing it. For the first number of years, until very, very recently, the last few months, really. Because, again, I didn't want it to be, I wanted to keep them very separate. This is something I'm doing, this matters to me, I'm going to do this. It's not, you know, some, you know, God love Julia Roberts, love her, but I mean, the idea of, like, is it, was it even her that goes up the, you know, some river and dug out canoe to look for the, for the gorillas, I'm like, it makes me cringe. I find that embarrassing for everyone involved. And so, I didn't want to sort of be thrown in that kind of, you know, it mattered to me, travel writing and traveling. And so I kept them very much separate. But only recently I've kind of gotten, again, gotten over myself a little bit and go, it doesn't matter because I feel more legitimate, I suppose, to myself about it, my own, where I stand and my own place in it. So I would be curious to uh, do it at this point. One of the reasons that I love Bourdain's show as well is that it's it became very clear over the course of the whole arc of the series that whether or not it started out as like the idea of oh hey let's put the bad boy of cooking or you know into different foreign locales he very clearly started approaching it as an opportunity to to learn more about the places that he was in and to learn more about himself you know by placing himself in the context of these environments and that became a much more interesting series yeah that's what it shows about shows not the, the cooking stuff is now just sort of a, you know a respite. They go back to the cooking, sort of, it's like pressing reset. But I mean, it's not a it's particularly the show now on CNN. It's not at all about, you know, cooked food, mm-hmm. really. When he was in, I think he was in Haiti, I think there's one scene where he eats food and it's terrible, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he's there and he's like, he's interested and he's bringing it, just hanging out with Tony for an hour. Mm-hmm. He's good company. Where are some of the places that you've been and been writing about since The Longest Way Home came out? I was in India. I was in uh, Darjeeling doing a story about tea. And then I went down to Calcutta and I was doing a story about Calcutta. And I'm going to Honolulu actually next week, the exotic locale of Honolulu to do a story. Which actually, I find things like that much more difficult than going to India, you know. <laughs> because India at least has the, you know, the allure of the exotic. It has a lot of your work is done. Instantly, you say Calcutta, you have images in your mind instantly of Calcutta. But Honolulu, it's like, really? Yeah. Really, is there a dream location that you really want to get to? But you know, whether it's the assignment hasn't come up yet or the right story to get you there hasn't taken place. Uh, lots of places I'd like to go. You know, I'd like to go down to the American South, the Deep South, and really sort of. I'd like to take a 
long, windy, slow road trip through the deep south, I think that's like that would be another country. I'd like to do that. I, I, but I mean, I've always wanted to go to the Atacama Desert in northern Chile. I'd like to go to Burma before the McDonald's gets there. I'd like to go to you know Bhutan, like, endless places. I'm curious to go. You know, I'm curious pretty much anywhere. I mean, if I don't like somewhere, it's usually me that's the problem, not the place. I either need a nap or a snack. We talked a bit about Thoreau earlier, and uh, so I'm also wondering about other travel writers that you might have been particularly impressed by over the years. Yeah, like Paul Thoreau had the biggest influence. I like Pico Iyer's stuff a lot. I, I like his sort of detached investment in things, and his sometimes dreamlike way his mind sort of goes off. Yeah, I, I'd say those are the two that really, uh, there's a contemporary writer, a, guy, a young guy, David Farley, who's writing I like a lot. And, you know, Jan Morris's stuff is wonderful. But I was much more influenced by the American kind of style than that, that English style. Uh, I'm, when Thoreau came along and sort of threw himself in the nar- middle of the narrative, suddenly it just changed the way travel writing was done. That's a much more appeal to me. Because, you know, although I'm piggybacking with somebody, I'm not just being reading a beautiful description. I couldn't, I get bored very quickly. I read a beautiful description of a place. I don't care how beautiful the description is, and I'm, my mind starts to drift. You know, I want to get emotionally invested. And I want to get invested in you, who's taking me there, so that I can identify with you and go, yeah, and start nodding my head and go, yeah, I feel that way too. Because travel writing, for say, travel writing for travel writing is a, what's the point of it? I don't really understand, except maybe a snapshot in time of that place in that time, sort of like a first draft of history in some way. But otherwise, what's the point unless it connects on a personal level? So now that you've done one book, and it's true that these stories were, I mean, there was the magazine component to doing these stories as well. But now with one book under your belt, have you given thought to writing a travel memoir, full-length book sort of situation, with the book as the initial premise rather than the mag- you know, taking the magazine features and then finding the overarching story? That was just, it was coincidental, sure. really. You know, I saw, mm-hmm. once I was sitting in the back of the cab there, I saw the natural arc of it. I knew I was going mm-hmm. to be going over the next X amount of months, six months, I'm going to be going here, and I'm going to end up in Kilimanjaro, and I'm going to, I'm like, I just saw an actual arc there. Okay. Unconsciously got played out for me. It's a tricky thing about travel writing, like going to take a trip with the intent of writing a book is an odd thing. People do it. I mean, that's what Paul Thoreau does most of the time. He knows he's going to write a book when he gets, goes on, gets on the train. So I don't know. You know, I'm finishing a novel that I've been working on for several years, and I was finishing when I, the idea for this book came up, and I just put it aside to, because this book seemed to have an urgency about it to me. So I'm just finishing that and would like to inflict that on the world at some point soon. And I would like to do another travel thing. But it has to become from an idea as opposed to just sort of, I'm going to write, a, I'm going to go here to write a book about it. That to me seems false. So if I, if I have something I'm really interested in, then it would make sense. You know what I mean? A, a place I'm interested in because that place is going to help illuminate something, then I would be interested in doing that. But I don't want to just go to write, go somewhere to write a book about it. And at the same time, you don't want to necessarily, like, you don't want to manufacture a crisis that, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go write a... I have enough crisis. Is, yeah, exactly. To manufacture them. <laughs> you know, that said, I don't know how personal I would get the next time. Pico R said to me when he, I was, he said, what are you working on now? And I said, I'm, I'm finishing up this novel. I said, what's it about? And I said, it's about a, a 30-year marriage. And he said, oh, good, now you can put in all the stuff that was too personal to put in your memoir. And I think that's very true. That said, I don't know how quick I'd be to write a very personal, revealing memoir again. <laughs> you know, it's it's a very naked feeling. Cool. Well, whatever we see from you next, we'll be looking out for it, uh, whether it's in the magazines or travel, or, or hopefully the novel will land someplace. 
We've been having a great conversation with Andrew McCarthy about The Longest Way Home, One Man's Quest for the Courage to Settle Down, which is just out in paperback from Simon & Schuster. I'm Ron Hogan. You've been listening to Life Stories, and I hope you'll tune in for another episode sometime soon. Thank you.